This podcast is brought to you by ThamesCon, bringing conventions to Oxford and London, including the Great Conjunction, the first ever dark crystal convention in the world. For more information, visit their website at www.thegreatconjunction.com. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to The Gathering Songs. Where is that book? Here's the rest of the materials you requested. Will I get to talk to the Skeksis? I have so many questions. Oh, the Lords don't like questions. Oh, why don't they like questions? How else do we learn? So you can read. Oh, how wonderful. I, too, am a connoisseur of the written word. (gasps) I've read all about you. I see you've done your research. I have tomes that go back a thousand. Try! What are those funny marks? This is all writing. What's writing? Words that stay. When single shines the triple sun, what was sundered and undone shall be whole the two made one! Well, howdy y'all, and welcome to The Gathering Songs. I'm your host, Jason Delgado. Uh, very happy to be here again. We are knee-deep in J.M. Lee's Flames of the Dark Crystal. We kind of ended with Chapter 5 last week. Uh, we're kind of going to pick up from there and just keep going. So without any further ado, let me introduce you to the other guests that are here. And I think I'm starting in reverse order this time. Uh, so first, Nancy, how you doing? Pretty good. Uh, glad to be here again. Thank you. Yep, Nancy is a long-time contributor. I think you were on the very first Gathering Songs, correct? Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah, and that was back when y'all were doing creation myths and things like that, so uh, always happy to have you here as Thank well. You. Uh, next, we have another long time. I believe he was here on the very first Gathering Songs as well, and he's still faithfully contributing after all these many years. Uh, Peter. How you doing, Peter? I'm doing great, thanks. It's been a great ride since 2014. <laughs> Man, that's a long time. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been really happy that we've had Dark Crystal materials continue to come out since then. Uh, so definitely no complaining from me. No, but, well, you've waited all those years for it to to finally show up at 2014 too so <laughs> yeah no kidding no kidding no kidding and last but not least one of the newest uh i guess regular contributors and interviewees on the trial by stone podcast or what's your official title sydney uh i am a co-host on trial by stone um and then i guess you could say contributor as well since uh, my role has kind of increased lately uh since we launched our patreon and I'm kind of the resident uh, artist, so I'm doing the fan art that we're putting out as um, Patreon rewards. So yeah, co-host and contributor to Trial by Stone, um, and you know, new newbie, new new baby to the uh, <laughs> to the family. <laughs> Very cool, very cool. Very happy to have you on. I've enjoyed the. Uh, I think the very first time we recorded Gathering Songs, I was like two or three episodes on Trial by Stone behind. Mm-hmm. So I was like, "Who is this Sydney person? I don't know who she is." <laughs> uh, I mean, I, 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 I've seen you on the Facebook group, but I didn't, I didn't realize. Oh, she's a she's a co-host. So congratulations, yeah. doing thank doing you, doing a great Ooh, job. Yeah, Ethan and uh, Jamie nabbed me up. Pretty, uh, pretty quickly 
And it wasn't long before uh, I was on Trial by Stone after that. I mean, when I first joined the, the Facebook fan group, The Crystal Shard, um, I was just contributing all the time because I loved it. Yeah. And before I knew it, Jamie uh, invited invited me to be an admin and a moderator for the group. And I was like, man, this will be cool. Maybe someday I'll get to be on the podcast to talk about the show or to talk about, <laughs> you know, just to nerd out. I thought I'll be on the podcast. And before I knew it, I had a message from Philip and I was like, what? No way. Now I'm interviewing mm. Alice Deneen. Hold on. Yeah. What is my life? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a great interview. Oh. Yeah, she, she was the one who did Brea, correct? Yes, Brea and uh, The Ornamentalist as well. And I mean, a few other. Right, right. She, she, she talked about how n- No Puppeteer was just doing one role right. the whole show. Like, they jumped around and helped each other out the whole time. It was really cool to get her insight. But yeah, primarily Brea and The Ornamentalist. So she was awesome. amazing. Love it. Love it, love it. Well, today on The Gathering Stones, we do talk about the books and we dive into, uh, yeah, all the book media. And again, this is book four of Jam Lee's quadrilogy, young adult series, Flames of the Dark Crystal. So I assume you've already heard the episodes before this. And yes, no, there will be spoilers for the Mm -hmm. Netflix show and this book, obviously. So read along, watch along, and discuss with us. So with that, let's dive into where we last left off. Where we last left off, our heroes, was that wonderful place of respite, the Valley of the Mystics, which we thought they well-deserved because they had just been in complete chaos and fights and lots of drama swallowed by gigantic beasts just so much happened to them so it was very nice that they got to go to the valley of the mystics and hang out there for a couple weeks um one interesting fact i did find recently that i thought i'd I'd bring out here and it's mentioned very briefly in this chapter naya's kind of like wow there's there's crystal veins here and they're healthy they haven't been marred you know they haven't blighted you know there's no darkness in them uh one reason that you have mystic valley protected same 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 thing when jen grows up in the movie i mean as far as he knows the world is fine i mean he just all he's seen is the mystic valley and everything's fine one reason that it's protected is because of the standing stones those were arranged by urti the alchemist in patterns that both form spirals and circles of stones and also allowed the figures inscribed on the stones to be reflected from one stone to another creating a net of protective energy around the whole region interesting that they they note on the glossary page of the darkcrystal.com, which just got updated recently. When I say recently, yeah. we're, we're in April, so definitely want to check that out. It seems like they're still updating it because there's some typos and weird things in there, but um, I assume it's still being updated. But it's cool. Th- they mentioned that that technique was parallel to how Skeptic the scientist would trap the energy of the sun with with those that web of mirrors that we see in the movie of how he drained. Um, so so yeah. so very interesting to see the the flip side of it. And like oh, this is one reason why this valley remains untouched and unmarred you know it's it's the uru and their their powers basically that 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 they have Mm -hmm. really interesting stuff but anywho um we get an update on what has been happening in the caves of grot since we last left it if you recall the caves were defended by our heroes and they wound up catching skek lee the satirist which is the counterpart to early the storyteller. But it turns out that the Emperor sent reinforcements overpowering the Grotzen and freeing Skekli. Madra Argot managed to flee, and some of the Grotzen and early uh, are now back with the rest of the mystics. And it's mm-hmm. it's a pretty sad tale. And at this point, Naya's starting to, to really wonder, like, man, if maybe if we did something else, I could have stopped that. I could have freed, or, or not freed, but 
how many how many of the the people of Domrock, you know, how many of the garden could I have saved if I've just killed Skekli? And at this point, she has kind of inklings that the Uru and Skekli and Skeksis have some kind of connection, but she's still she's still under the assumption that to defeat the Skeksis means we're going to kill them, basically, uh, or imprison them all, you know, do, which I, I don't know if you can imprison them because of how strong they are and all the backup they have, but these are all things she's debating in her head. Anyway, she does wind up gaining hope and remembering that it wasn't all in vain because they did wind up sending that mass message out, you know, when they dream stitched on the sanctuary tree. And that's also where they met Amri. And of course, Amri is going to be the love of her life, I assume. So she's, of course, happy with this. And mine. <laughs> and yours. <laughs> yes. Spoiler. But, uh, spoiler. You, yeah, yeah. So, so that was kind of. How can you not like Amri, really? I mean, <laughs> I know. It's he's awesome. the best. He's the best. But anyways, before we move on from Chapter 5, that was just kind of some cleanup of stuff we didn't exactly mention in last week's show. Um, did you all have any other comments on Chapter 5? I mean, other than how awesome was it to just get to go somewhere familiar um, mm -hmm. after being thrown around in that intense um, pirate adventure, <laughs> if yeah. you could call it that. Um, sort of like a hybrid of a, a pirate adventure and like a submarine um, action movie. <laughs> it was just like so much action. Yeah. Um, but it was all in like unfamiliar territory, which is awesome. It's great that we get so much of that um, for this franchise. Now we get so many things that we hadn't seen in the movie, but it was really nice to get a little reprieve somewhere that felt like home. It's um, in my opinion, it's also nice just to have the Skeksy, the the um, the Uru actually doing something to give them some sanctuary too. Because I felt like in the other books, they did show up and they did help them, but only just. And now it's like they get thrust into this valley where all the Uru are. And it, um, it's kind of a neat uh, a neat chapter in general because of that reason. Yeah. 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 So with that, uh, I'm a very technical person, so I love the explanation about why the Skeksis haven't basically wiped out or even, you know, knowing that would be bad, enslaved the Uru. Uh, and we get that explanation, which is great, because uh, that wasn't in the movie. And we also get to have a, a rest uh, where, as everybody said, uh, we get to see the, the mystics here that are familiar, and they get involved. Uh, mm -hmm. But again, we see them less passive in this light, because in the film before, they're like, yeah, you know what, Jen, go on this quest uh we'll be over here just kind of watching yeah. you do what you do uh, <laughs> it's almost yeah. like they're taking credit for everything he's doing <laughs> really yeah. passive so this was a nice uh change mm -hmm. from that i also felt like this chapter gave us and and also the next chapter um gives us a little bit of an insight as to the mystics might be dealing with some guilt for the responsibility that they carry for mm -hmm. the, the darkening and for the um the cracking of the crystal like we're going to talk about in a bit how naya points out that the skeksis cracked the crystal and he says no we did like all of us we are one and the um the skeksis kind of they don't hold any guilt whatsoever they're just like we're not guilty for anything we're awesome mm -hmm. we're eternal whereas i feel like the mystics really are carrying that burden and um understand the weight of how they have responsibility mm -hmm. too. And so I think that might be part of why they hesitate to take action so often is because they're like, well, we don't want to make it worse because last time we tried to do too much, 
we messed up the whole world, and maybe we should just chill and let the Gelfling take care of this. It's the paralysis of action. Yeah. It's almost like they feel that they're going to leave it up to the Gelfling, whether they kill the Skeksis or not. They're not yeah. going to sit here and say, you know, you, you kill them, you kill us, or anything like that. It's like they're accepting the fact that what they did was wrong, and yeah. whatever consequences come from it, in, in their eyes, I think it makes a balance. And I think they also have an understanding that it's not their world. They're visitors, mm -hmm. you know, that they're visitors here, and this the world of Thra doesn't belong to them. It's not their place to intervene. And when they did intervene, this happened. Mm -hmm. The space tourist broke the monument. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yep. <laughs> that, that is a much better way of putting it than I would. <laughs> yeah, it, it is interesting. It's really just diametrically opposed to the Skeksis' view because they're just like, "Here's a planet for us to make our own and do with it what we will, and be be the lords of the crystal, and we are we're eternal, and you know, basically become gods of their own planet." Uh, yeah, a totally well, different uh, side of the two coins. Well, the Skeksis yeah. think of the Gelfling as being like toys to them. And servants yep. and things of that nature. I get the feeling with the Uru, it's a little different. Like, they almost treat them like equals in some ways. And um, that in and of itself is just a totally different viewpoint. And the fact yeah. that they're actually leaving this up to them means it's like they're trying to put the, the future of the planet uh, into their hands rather than the Skeksis who were, you know, horrible to the Gelfling and just thought of them as servants and this was their land and they could, you know, do whatever they wanted to it. Same with the uh, Gelfling themselves, so. Well, this, yeah. this is briefly about balance and agency. Mm -hmm. So we see the good and the evil. You know, the evil are like, yeah, you know what, we're stuck here, we're going to make the best of it and basically forget about everything of trying to get back together with the Uru and, you know, make ourselves one again. So let's just do everything that we want, whereas the Uru have never lost sight of, you know, why they're there, what's happening, and what needs to be done. But, you know, the paralysis of inaction, accountability, and guilt keeps them from doing it themselves. So involving the Gelfling, they understand that the agency has to be with the natives of the mm -hmm. planet in order to heal the planet uh, and undo yeah. the damage they did. So it, it's a wonderful mix. Yeah. And I get the feeling, too, that Naya, being being a healer, um, she's very empathetic. And as she's hearing this, this tale, you know, from the perspective of the mystics, she's immediately described as being just sort of mm -hmm. really sad hearing it. And not just because, oh, this means I can't kill the Skeksis, but it also just... I think she she empathizes with what the mystics feel. Yeah, and she sure. realizes that they they were the ones who caused the the uh, mystics so much pain, and it's it's yeah. very interesting the way she's got this whole in her mind um, this whole battle going on because she wants to kill the Skeksis. She thought that that was the way to defeat them, and now all of a sudden. That would mean hurting someone innocent, and that's not something that she's okay with. I think it may, kind of shows her depth as a character, that she didn't think, well, you know, this is sad and all, but 
we've got to do what we've got to do. Instead, she's she's doesn't even know what she can do to make this right, but she knows it's wrong to kill the Skeksis because it means killing the Uru. Yeah, and that's really the theme of the next several chapters and a large mm-hmm. chunk of this book. And I remember when I was reading through this book, that was a really intriguing... It, it was one of the most intriguing parts of this whole quadrilogy because it was, okay, like, this is cool, we're exploring Thrawn, we're on this adventure, and, you know, someone has to go find the mythical weapon, and we're building up the party, and we're, you know, going from place to place, but then you come up upon this impossible situation, like, this quandary that's just, uh, I, yeah, she's right, I don't know how she solves that, like, in that time, how does she solve, like, obviously, we, we have the knowledge of the movie, you know, we know it's it's the crystal mm-hmm. shard, you know, during the, the triple sun, the, the next great conjunction, um, what was sundered and done is whole the two made one. You know, like, well, like we know the ultimate answer, but at, at the time our characters aren't privy to that information, and so it's like, oh yeah, I, yeah, they're under the assumption they have to kill them, but they just can't do that because now they know how they're connected, and oh, it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty interesting, and, and it's, it's interesting too because you, you do get a small little taste of that in the Netflix show when if you remember in episode 10 when during the battle of stone in the wood when Rion strikes Skekvar the general with the dual glaive and you know he sees it's like it's doing something it's probably going to kill him he pulls it out he's like no like I'm not like we're, we're not killers like we're not Skeksis like we would just be on your level we would just become what we're fighting like this is not the way um, and I think at yeah. that time Jen or not Jen, but Rion doesn't really know <laughs> what the way is either. You know, none of them really do. So, well, uh, really interesting stuff. Even at the very start of this, they were talking about, um, in in the website, it was talking about how they weren't, um, the, the uh, Gelfling as a race were just not violent. Right. You know, they didn't solve things by killing each other. There wasn't... There might be conflicts and things within the tri- tribes, but there weren't wars and things of that nature. So it was one of those things that's like to actually kill an intelligent being is something that the Gelfling would have a problem with just by nature. Yeah, it's not in their nature to mm-hmm. to be violent and to solve a problem in that sense. You know, they they know when it's time to protect mm-hmm. or defend. Um, so, you know, they can be soldiers in that sense, but it doesn't come naturally to them. It's not inherent, um, because they're, they're the closest to Thra. They're the creatures that are closest to Thra. This is a little off, but did anyone ever, uh, read the manga? Yes. Yeah, the scene... The Garthamores? Yes. Where, um, the main character ends up breaking his flute, and he ends up using the flute as a weapon against the Gartham, and he's thinking how tragic it is that an instrument that used to bring such beauty and such wonderful music is being used for violence now. And yeah. it's kind of almost mourning over it. Mm-hmm. Naffy, Naffy and Lar, I think were their names. Yeah. And it's interesting because the, 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 the girl that's with him, she's using her weaving skills to also protect the people and, you know, trap Gartham now. So yeah, it's, she's like, Oh, this is not what I originally learned weaving for. Yeah. And she has that same, yeah. Like this is not, the purpose of these things like this is not who we are it's so strange yeah it's, it's definitely it's also i think a, a credit to the to the authors both the writers of the show but also to joe lee for being able to write something from the character's perspective that we as the reader have more knowledge than the characters mm-hmm. do 
we essentially know the answer to what their struggle is and I imagine that's that would be mm-hmm. difficult to write um, to write a struggle that the characters are going through and the audience knows you know that could be very frustrating for a reader to to have the knowledge and to want to tell the characters like no I know the answer you just need to figure this out but we're still sympathizing with them and still um, understanding that there's that struggle in that moment we're able to recognize that even though we ultimately know what what the answer that they need is but that's that's what we do as writers is we create that struggle and we show you the struggle and by doing that we show mm-hmm. you the characters even though you know where they're going it's the fascination you have with how they get there that keeps you glued to the screen and the page yeah and it goes to show that you don't need to use um a mysterious twist at the <laughs> end as as like a motivator to keep reading like no. it's it's okay to have full knowledge the whole time and know what the end is if you know if you're writing in a way that's compelling and makes you care about the characters and want to see that journey to the end it shouldn't matter that you already mm-hmm. have that knowledge and if a surprise happens organically then cool yeah. but i mean it's things like this that just prove that you don't need to use that sort of mystery box uh, technique as a driving force. <laughs> it's definitely more about the journey than the destination. Yeah. Because if you've seen the movies, you know what the destination is, and it's kind of tragic. Because the Gelfling obviously do not win. <laughs> so Spoiler! <laughs> yeah, we said there were going to be what? spoilers. Wait a minute. <laughs> They said there would be spoilers, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it now. I mean, they, they, in a way they do, but I mean, you know, most of them get wiped out. So who knows past this book exactly, you know, is, I guess, the Gartham War. And that's when things really take a turning point and the Gelfling start to actually lose. And it's one of these things where it's like, it's more about the journey. It's not about the destination. It's about the characters and the relationships that they form and the adventures that they have trying to do something that is seems so impossible to them and that's what's compelling about it sometimes reading about the journey is more edifying i guess you could say than actually just having you know then skipping you're not the type that wants to skip to the end if you're reading these books you want to know how they got there Right. Yeah, totally. Especially in in this book, because if I I remember in an interview with, uh, it, I it was another author who did young adult novels, and they cleared up a misconception just about the genre specifically. You know, because the interviewer was asking like, well, why did you switch from writing you know these classic novels, blah blah, or you know grand epic things, whatever, to young adult novels? Like, why did you dumb down your writing? I, I think it's ha- kind of how they worded it, and mm-hmm. the author is like, he's like, well, no, it's technically for a young adult novel, it's really just a coming of age story. So it could be written on a yeah, mm-hmm. a junior high level. You could write it at a high school level or a college level. It doesn't matter. It's what what technically fits it by the description is a coming of age story. And this is a coming of age story mm-hmm. for Naya and, and, and many of these characters. We're we're seeing them go from like like we talked about last time, 
it's extremely insecure and unsure what the world out there is like to like, okay, now we have these challenges. We got to face them. How do we deal with them? And for any person, the reason we can relate to that is because we've gone through that journey or we are still going through that journey. There's always new things presented in front of us, new problems we got to solve. Uh, are we just going to fold up and, and curl up in a ball and cry in the corner? Are we going to, okay, how do we face this? And how do I, how, how can I build a band of heroes to help me solve this problem? You know, whatever the context is in your specific life. So I think that's right. one reason we can always relate. In my opinion, yeah. that was one of the things that was best about this book. Because it's like, you've gone through and seen them being um, self-conscious and not believing in themselves and everything. And in this book, you're just seeing throughout the different books, them growing up. And even like in uh, the chapters we're going to talk about, Kylan, the way that he's changed and the way Naya's changed, all of the characters have mm -hmm. changed throughout the books and have grown up. And I mean, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but you know, it's sort of like in Harry Potter where you see him growing up and you see him changing. It's a similar sort of thing where it's like, you see these characters when they started off, they're so different than they are when they're in this book. And I love that. I love dynamic characters. Mm -hmm. He he really pulled yeah. that one off very, very well, in my opinion. Yeah, and we see a lot of this. Well, we kind of already talked about chapters six, seven, and eight. But let's jump back into uh, chapter six with where Naya currently is now. She does start off still feeling really wounded. I think they said that she was out for 12 days, uh, still resting. She still feels really weak. It even talks about how a couple times she's tried, she, she tries healing in the next couple of days and sometimes no light comes from her and she just kind of gives up. She's pretty sure that power is just gone. But anyways, she's ultimately summoned to Ursu, who is the counterpart of the Emperor, so the Mystic Master. She's um, summoned to him, and she just has a barrage of questions. And he's totally, you know, he's totally cool with it. He's he's there ready to take all their questions. Uh, she asks things like, the Skeksis, you know, have they corrupted the Crystal of Truth, and why? And how can we stop them from hurting the Gelfling? How do we defeat them? And it, it's so cool, in a typical mystic style they don't just oh here's the answer here's the answer to a b and c and d they they're like well let's first tell the story to understand mm -hmm. the mystics or, or to understand the skexies you must first understand the urskex and it's fascinating because all the gelfling are like what's an urskex like and this is a word they've never heard of before because it's not part of really gelfling history uh, it, which is again a very similar scene we see in i believe it's episode seven where they have the puppet show. They're like, Erskex? Like, oh, wow, they were once, once too. Uh, what I loved about this, though, was he pulls out that familiar green, cloudy water bowl that we see in the movie, and he begins to give them the full, true history of Thra, mm -hmm. if you will. You know, a lot of what they know is very partial and not complete. Uh, and the water bowl comes to life similar in the ways that it does in the movie, the way it's described. And it starts giving the history of the Erskex, how these aliens first came to Thra during the First Great Conjunction due to the discord in them. So again, the, the mystics really do know and understand still why they originally were taken to Thra, if you will, um, and how they expected to get home during the Second Great Conjunction. But again, still the crystal found discord in them. And instead of traveling back to whatever their home planet was, they split. And of course, we know there's a little more story behind that when we read creation myths and whatnot. You know, Rodup had some stuff to do mm -hmm. with that. Uh, but basically, they, they see it as the crystal rejected us. It didn't deliver us home because it saw we still had imperfections that remained in our hearts. 
it saw that we were restless. It rejected us, and so our second lesson begins. And this may be why the mystics are acting the way they are, and you know, and how they're helping the Gelfling, and but also trying to stay a little hands off and whatnot. Anyways, um, one of the most interesting parts of this to me was getting into the minds of the Uru, as you guys were saying, how they interpreted and responded to those events. Like, like you brought up, Naya says like they cracked the crystal, and Ursu says yes, we did. You didn't. The Skeksis did, Gurgen says. But the Mystic Master shook his head. We are the Skeksis, and they are us. It was we who cracked the crystal. We who lost the shard. We who left the crystal incomplete, as we are incomplete. It is our final lesson, a gift from Thra, so we may be tested. For without the shard, we cannot heal the crystal. And without the crystal intact, we cannot return from whence we came. When final judgment comes, only then will we know whether we might leave this world as Urskex mm -hmm. once again. That, that was a really interesting uh, insight, because they recognize there's a shard, you know, and, and we do know they know that history because they do tell it to Jen in the movie. You know, they don't really divulge any more about the shard to these current Gelfling. I, I don't know if the Urskex at this time know exactly how that's all going to happen. And maybe Final Judgment there is, is the next great conjunction. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but it, it is interesting. They definitely have pieced some stuff together. If, if you recall, in, in a couple books back, one of them even has on their wall, like, the beginning of that prophecy, you know, uh, of, of the Great Conjunction, what was sundered and undone, things like that. And they're asking about it, and the mystic just is kind of spouting off riddles, and it's not really helpful. But anyways, when asked if the Skeksis remember these events, the Ursu responded, they did once, but they have become consumed by desire for this material world, distracted by riches and, ador and the adoration of the Gelfling, drunk on the delight of power, it has been nearly 1,000 trying again since we split in twain. In that time, many have forgotten, but not Skexo. And I loved, I, I loved both how this, this scene was... Well, we saw the kind of, I guess, the Skeksis part of this scene in the Netflix show when Skexo starts asking uh, Skekvar the general, like, do you remember when we were two? And he's like, oh, I have nightmares about it and whatnot. Like, they have a very different view. Like, they don't want to be together. They, like, like, like you guys were saying earlier, they want to be separate and apart. Sorry, I have to, I have to interject something here. Right, go for it. I really love on uh, page fifty-two when uh, Naya's thinking about this event. She, it says Naya couldn't imagine the pain and fear they mm. must have felt if they felt those things at all. Couldn't imagine what it might be like to be seared apart by the crystal, awakening to find herself looking into the eyes of her worst self. That part gave me chills That's... when I read it. Yeah, I love that part because it's just like it, it's true. It's like, are you the good self or the bad self? And if you find you're the bad self, how does that make you feel? It's just it's very emotionally provoking. It, it really struck a chord with what she's going through in that moment mm -hmm. because she's really mm -hmm. insecure. I think that Gurgen oh, yeah. is the better half. Like, maybe that's the case for with her and Gurgen. Maybe they are two halves of one and now, now that she doesn't have her healing ability, clearly, you know, Gurgen's able to take on that role. I think she's dealing with that insecurity that am I the worst part of myself in this duality? Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy stuff. But um, th there were so many reasons I, I loved this scene in the book. Um, I mean, again, one of them was not just a callback to like, oh, we're in Mystic Valley, but... Ursu's using that same method to show to show them that that green bull. Like I could totally just I could visualize it all the history of the Urskex in that 
screen bowl. I guess that was kind of a stop motion animation. I'm not exactly sure how they did that. I know that. how. I know how. Oh, how, what was it? <laughs> um, it was melted ice. So they what? they made little ice they made oh. little ice sculptures and then that's they did right. like time lapse footage of the ice sculptures melting. Oh, dude, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, and um, so then basically they played it in reverse to make it look like it was coming together from the bull but yeah it was actually reverse time lapse time lapse sped up footage of little ice sculptures melting um yeah i think i think it was on the uh the featurette that's on the blu-ray for the original film where they talk about that um, world of the dark crystal i think it's called yes yeah which is yeah, not to I'm be confused pretty... with the book world uh-huh. of the dark crystal yeah. but yeah, totally yeah. different both yeah. are excellent yeah, if you have the Blu-ray of the original film, I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I've, I've seen so many uh, documentaries and little behind-the-scenes thingies here and there that, you know, I might be wrong. It might be another one I'm thinking of, but um, that's my instinct. I just remember when I learned about that, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Um, so, because imagine, like, how much time that would have taken. Like, it just goes to show, again, how much time and effort, like, they, they did not cut any corners with <laughs> that film at all. Yeah, like, right, everything yeah. was done the long way. Um, so I think it would be really cool. Like I was, I was picturing that visual as I was reading it. And like, I mean, we only really saw two images in the movie of, with the ice sculptures. Yeah. We saw the, the crystal and then we saw Agra's um, high Agra's hill. or yeah, her high hill. And, yeah. um, Whatever, yeah. in this situation, we're basically seeing an entire puppet show, like an entire little play done via <sighs> melting ice sculptures. So I, I really hope that, um, in some capacity we get a visual representation of that whether that means we get a season two of age of resistance or maybe they'll do some short films down the line um i just think it would be really awesome to see that technique played with more to to the extent of like this passage where we're seeing an entire story played out man that'd be super rad yes (laughs) very cool i i I did not know that I, i i always thought it was a super smooth i was like that's like the smoothest stop motion like how did they do that i, I <laughs> this, it always I, I never Jim knew so, baby. Thank you. he wanted to do yeah. this thing right because he had been wanting to do this a long time a whole world made with puppetry and things of that nature and i can imagine he would do something like that and that's so so cool and so amazing if anyone hasn't read the creation myths, pick them up because there's even a section in the back where it talks about his passion about this particular movie. And I I don't doubt it for a second. I'm oh, sure yeah. he did something really cool and imaginative like that. That's really neat. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. I didn't know that at all. That's great. No problem. I'm happy to unload nerd knowledge anytime I have the opportunity. Um, it's cool to, to get to say stuff like that to people who respond with, ooh, cool, and not like, hey, you're talking about the rock crystal again. Sorry. <laughs> I don't hang out with those people. I know. Sometimes you're related to them and you can't do anything about it, but, you know. Especially when you're stuck in quarantine with them, right? <laughs> you have to listen that to all my dark crystal news. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, next year I'll get through Thanksgiving dinner without talking about the Dark Crystal. We'll try. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, good good stuff. So pr- pretty much everything else with that chapter, we kind of already divulged in about Naya's conflict with, well, lighting the fires of resistance means defeating the Skeksis, but we can't defeat the Skeksis because we'll hurt the gentle Uru. 
how do we do this? And that's really the predicament she's in for the next several chapters. Um, and that brings us to chapter 7. This chapter is a pretty sad one. Naya goes off alone to think, and again, it's just perplexed by the situation. She feels as though their journey has been just pointless, all for naught. She finds some crystal veins and reaches out to, to heal them, because she, she winds up kind of going further away from the valley, it seems. Um, and she finds this cluster of veins. Eventually, Amri joins up with her, and she sees that these are starting to darken. And so she, again, this is where she, she wants to start to heal it, and it winds up kind of blowing back in their face. You know, she's unsuccessful in her healing. Like, normally she could have done this. We've seen her do this multiple times on much darker crystal veins, I suppose, and even darkened creatures. And now this little tiny spot she sees, it's just her power is really gone. She realizes she's extremely sad. Not only that, Amory's kind of treating her not the same as he has, you know, like they were so flirtatious and whatnot throughout the last couple books. Um, and, and especially really recently, but now she's, she's not sure why he's acting the way he is. And she's just discouraged and confused and they leave the cave together. That's really chapter seven. It's just a total bummer chapter. So anyways, <laughs> did you guys have any other thoughts on that chapter seven? Just curious about, and that's the whole point of the chapter right? in terms of their relationship. Like, you think that they had some alone time, that it would be great. But instead we get mm -hmm. the, oh, I can't do what I used to do before from Naya. And Amory's like, no, you can't. And he just sits there like a lump. It's like, yeah. you know, <laughs> reach out, do mm -hmm. something, comfort, talk about it. No, no, yeah. no let's just go. Okay. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, she's she's going through some serious stuff here. Like, it, it harkens back to... Um, in the last chapter how she's feeling really insecure about basically her entire identity now that she has healing taken away from her and she's feeling like the lesser of the two halves um so now this this scenario where she's she sees the little blemish of the darkening even in this place um and she wants to try to heal it and it's possible that you know part of why she struggles so much to to tap into those abilities is because she's kind of fogged up by also feeling all of that confusion about mm -hmm. Emery and about what she's going through there. She just has so much insecurity and all these self-doubts. And, you know, that's a pretty typical coming-of-age lesson is, right, you know, yeah. when, oh, you're, yeah. when you're doubting mm -hmm. yourself and you don't believe, you're not going to be able to tap into that, that good stuff and, and do what needs to be done. And... You know, yeah, it's, it's you're right, Peter. I think if um, if Amory were a little better with the ladies, you know, <laughs> he, he would understand that we we want to be talked to in times like that, you know. Uh -huh. But I think you know he's he's a cave dweller who's probably never had a lot of experience with with girlfriend type situations before, and so he's thinking like, oh, she's not thinking about me. She's got all this going on with her, you know, her healing abilities and the darkening, and we just learned all this information about the Urskex, like that's not the time for me to try to be cute right now. <laughs> right. Wasn't the whole thing that her brother had warned him to not distract her? <laughs> I, I, it's been a while since yeah, so I mean, basically I think that Amory knows she's going through a lot right now. I mean, yeah. And the fact that she couldn't actually do this even though she tried very hard I think he knew it just was not a good time. And it's because it's one of those things she's full of self-doubt and 
in a way, it's almost gentlemanly that he doesn't want to take advantage of that. Yeah. You know, she's feeling vulnerable. She doesn't feel like herself. She's being thrust into this role of a leader that she doesn't really know if she can fulfill. And then she tries to do something that seems like it'd be very simple for her to heal something. This is what she's been doing all along. And she just doesn't have the confidence. And she doesn't know if Gurchin has taken her ability. And then not only does it not work, I mean, it physically hurts both of them. So... There's got to be some guilt there, too. Like, oh, my gosh, I hurt Amory. And, you know, I couldn't do this. I shouldn't have tried. And I keep yeah. trying to do these reckless things like Gurgen keeps saying. So much. So I think Amory just basically said, let's just go. You know? <laughs> he didn't want to make it worse. Yeah. I mean, it even says the light faded from her. Yeah. It says in the book, like, the light faded from her and mm-hmm. guilt seeped out of her because of the fact that she hurt Amri in her attempt to do something that should come easy to her normally. Sure. So, I mean, yeah, Naya's probably at her, her lowest uh, yet at this point. And, um, you know, I, I do I do understand Amri's point of view at this point, but yeah, it totally makes sense mm-hmm. why Naya would see things the way that she does. Like, she's just at the, you know, when you have those days where you're just super not, um, <laughs> not feeling yeah. yourself, <laughs> then everything you're going to read into everything to be the worst case scenario and yeah amory hates me now (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah poor amory and that i this is one reason i identify with amory because i remember growing up and and i think even you know kids growing up now a lot of ways they relate to people and and we see this primarily you know because a lot of people talk on social media Mm -hmm. or through text messages now really everything ultimately winds up becoming a joke. You know, if you put a serious status message up there, you know, someone's going to crack a joke and they mean it in good humor Mm -hmm. or they, you know, they're not trying to be cruel, I assume. Um, But, but really that's kind of everyone's default reply. And I mean, even with Amory, like there's oftentimes he's the comic relief in a lot of these harsh situations. And, and Naya even says, like, she's like, Oh, I haven't laughed in a while. Thanks for that. You know, like, whatever joke you know she hasn't really done that in this book but in the last couple books you see that and you know amory you know that's really all he knows how to do so yeah i guess it's better that he just is quiet now but it's not what naya needs from him and uh yeah i mean and and i remember being that guy like oh this girl's sad and i don't know what to do i'm just gonna uh yeah just totally (laughs) awkward just dumb Mm -hmm. but yeah he has he has grown up to do as well so uh very interesting but Anywho, I'm I'm also trying to defend my boy Amory because I can. Uh-huh. Really... <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I definitely see his point of view as well. I am a hyper emotional woman who is marrying a a thinker sort of man who tends to try to handle things internally before like getting emotionally involved. Like he's a he's a big processor. Um, like I don't want to make this worse by intervening too much. You know, I don't want to make her feel like I can't. You know, and so I I think. That's why Amory sort of, I vibe with Amory because I'm like, yeah, he's my type. (laughs) (laughs) What I go for, I get, I get his, I get his situation. More of a problem solver and not so much an emotional (laughs) sort of thing. Yeah, but he'll learn, he'll learn. He'll learn that there's a time and a place for Mm -hmm. both. There's potential. He will. (laughs) Yep, yep. I I do believe Amory loves Naya enough to learn. So we'll we'll see <laughs> if we ever get more of their story, yeah. which I hope. So, anywho, so this brings us to chapter eight, 
sadly, Emery does pretty much confirm that he's friend zone Naya. Like she says, like yeah, like like he just calls her friends, and she's like, oh, friends, oh, oh, you know. Just, oh, oh so, I have a hot so take on that though, dude. Oh I yes, have a go. Hot take on that. Yes. What is uh, it? So, of course, she's gonna take that as oh, I'm being friend zoned because you know he said we're friends. That's true. But That's true. as an adult now, and knowing what I know about you know a healthy relationship. I don't think Amory meant it as um, we're just friends. You know, I I think if you're not friends with your romantic counterpart, you're doing it wrong. So it's not necessarily a not necessarily a diss in the way that she she takes it. You know, like it, it makes sense yeah. why she would take it that way. Of course, because again, she's insecure. She's feeling her lowest. She's gonna see the worst case scenario and everything right now. But I think Amory was trying to be like it's not my time right now. You have all this other stuff on your plate. I don't want to make it worse by making you think about me and how I feel about you. So mm-hmm. the, I'm just going to say the truth. And the truth is we're, we're friends. Yeah. That's what we are. Right. Like, yeah. Like we can be in yeah. love and still be friends. That's totally legit. So yep. I don't know. Yep. Sticking with Amory still. Sticking with Amory. Sticking with Amory. <laughs> yep. Yep. And that's exactly why I wrote in my notes, like at least in Naya's mind, <laughs> she's been yeah. friend zoned. At least Very for important. sure in her mind. You know, this book is from her perspective. So, yeah. Um, but, but anyway, so they, they want to penny back to the valley, and Kylan finds them and informs them that Irva, the archer, has awoken. And this is probably the Uru that they're most. Um, I guess friendly with, uh, just to keep using the word friends. <laughs> um, but Irval asked about the resistance, and this this scene here was a really cool explanation. I I, I actually know I, I've heard interviews of the background explanation of why it's called Age of Resistance, but this is the in Thra universe explanation for why it is called a resistance. So let me read this this little chapter here. I thought this was a really cool thing, and it's one of those parts where semantics actually does matter. Um, and the, the Uru Urva shows them the difference. Naya asks, Akra calls them the fires of resistance. Why not the fires of rebellion or the fires of revolution? Uru answers, because this is not about war. We cannot forcibly remove the darkness in others. We can only find balance with the darkness within ourselves. He continues, this world is ill. Its heart has been infected. When an organism senses an infection, it reacts in response, healing elements that might not have been present before. Over time, the organism develops a resistance to infection because of the menders. The fires are part of Thra's process of resistance. Naya understands and says, Thra is an organism, like a gelfling or a tree. The menders are its way of trying to heal itself. The fires are the sign, like like a fever, an indication that the body is sick and trying to recover, and a way for the body to fix itself. And resistance, Irva agrees, yes, as when the body builds a resistance to an illness which once plagued it. You menders will endure the deterioration caused by the Skeksis. You will find the way. Anyways, what, what was y'all's thoughts on that? I mean, usually the Uru throw out riddles and this and that, but here they're they're very precise on why this is a resistance and how it relates. Did you guys have any thoughts on that? Um, I like to think they're talking almost directly to Naya because this is likening Thra to an organism and try, an organism trying to heal itself. Um, the fires being almost like a fever and um, them being the menders, almost like the white blood cells and I really like that because of the fact she is a healer. And it's like they were, they're almost putting it in terms that she specifically would understand. 
Yeah, and they talk about that too because she says, you know, I, my mother trained me my entire life in the ways of healing and learning about anatomy and learning about how sicknesses work and what things to heal things. And um, so, yeah, this is 100% her language. They're, you know, get, putting it in terms that she grew up um, learning things this way. And also, um, it's... I think that's why this boosts her hope so much because it's like, oh, I am still a healer. Even though I'm not a healer in the sense that I have always been, I'm still a healer in this bigger scenario. I'm still a mender. I agree. And it will, it's one of those things when your body resists something like that, it's going to hurt. And, you know, it's like even the fire resist, fires of resistance, thinking of them as a fever. It, it's kind of painting a picture of you're not necessarily supposed to defeat this, you're supposed to endure. And I think that's kind of what they're trying to illustrate here, that that's what she's trying to do, get the Gelfling to endure because it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, because like, like, like we've said, you know, we know as an audience, ultimately, you know, they can't fix this problem until the next great conjunction. And, you know, who knows how many decades or how many trying upon trying there are until that time. So, yeah, there's a lot of in, that they're going to have to endure. And what's going to happen to them in that space in between? Like, there might be things we don't even know. Like, for all we know, I've, I've said this on other episodes of the podcast as well. Like, just because Jen and Kira think that they're the last two and they're the last two in that immediate area doesn't mean necessarily that they were the last two alive in the entire planet for all we know that there could have been a chunk of menders and um gelfling who endured and just packed up and found somewhere else to go to ride it out until the conjunction yeah and that and that is a a theory that i think has a lot of validity and i agree with because jen Originally, he thought he was the last Gelfling, and Kira thought she was the last Gelfling, and it turns out, oh, there's another one. And then, you know, we even got some hints of that in the Netflix show when they find the Grunax, and the Skeksis are like, wait a second, I thought we wiped out all the Grunax. They're like, oh no, we found some. I'm like, oh, okay, we were wrong. Um, so yeah, there's, and, and, and even behind the scenes, the writers have said things like, there's like when it comes to well they've said things like we're not allowed to use the g word which they're talking about genocide like well what about the genocide mm -hmm. of the gelfling like we're not allowed to use that word we try not to use it all we can say is there's a lot of room for hope on thra and it's mm -hmm. like okay that's very uh yeah i mean we, we've only really seen one continent of thrall like we've never seen that world turn around we don't is there other stuff on there you know we know we have the seafin who you know, they were about to sell off and just go off yeah. and find other places. Like, maybe they take a whole lot of Gelfling. But, you know, we, we don't know. I really I mean, like It's, it's definitely that. hinted that that's going to happen. Like, they're all wiped out. But maybe just in that region. I don't know. Having uh, written a story about the Sifa, I like to think that maybe some of the Sifa just found a undiscovered island somewhere and just settled down. You know? Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. That's my clan as well. Like I, I'm all about the Sifa, and mm. and I think too, it's it can't be ignored that the Sifa, part of what makes them unique is that they're the only clan that welcomes Gelfling from other clans into their clan. Mm. Like Sifa isn't a yeah. genetic; it's not a genetic identity. It's you you become a Sifa by joining up. So that's sort of, I think, hinting at 
a future for the entire Gelfling race mm-hmm. where they throw aside the the distinction between clans and just all join together regardless of their origins that could very well be where the entire Gelfling race is headed to just all uniting to one clan and set and sail off somewhere safe until uh, their time comes. Well, I'm going to throw a spanner in the works and say there's an eighth undiscovered Gelfling clan out there on another continent mm. that has no idea what Skeksis are and the crystal bats could not reach that far so <laughs> i'm just going to take it way out there yes please that's a cool idea too i am not opposed to that yeah there, there's there's definitely options and i i know i've seen a lot of comments you know and it's usually in relation to the netflix show when people are like oh no like we i want rian and deet to get together and they're all going to die anyways what's the point i don't i actually don't want a season 2 it's too uh-huh. sad it's like well not necessarily like okay yeah that's definitely the most obvious thing that's going to happen is just a genocide complete wipe out of the Gelfling but there's there's creative ways to where they can do that and still have it connected to the movie just fine you know not it's not another universe or another canon or something like that like there's there's ways they can do it like y'all are saying you know different continents hiding off here and there I mean the Gelfling themselves didn't even know a lot of the Groton existed like they've just they've heard rumors they've heard legends like whenever they see a grotten, they're like, "Oh, we thought you guys were dead, yeah. or we thought we thought you guys hung upside down, or I didn't know you existed." So yeah, who knows? Maybe they'll all get put into little crystal spiders and just hang out in a cave for another thousand years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You never know, and and it, it is interesting because there, there really is still a lot of time. Because even if you take Legends of the Dark Crystal and the Gartham Wars, those don't really end. Like they're still in the middle of battle. Like you don't really see what happens to all those Gelfling that are still living. You don't see what happens to all the Gartham. You know, we know we know they're still around during the movie. Um, but then, even with Power of the Dark Crystal, which is the sequel to the movie, all of a sudden it's a hundred years, a hundred trying later, and there's Thraws been repopulated. Like, was this an Adam and Eve situation with Jen and Kira, or did they come from other places? And, and it's never explained. There's definitely room for for hope, like like they yeah. said on Thraw. For, for so. theories theories aplenty because it's not like the skeksis really win either like they're not doing great in the movie like yeah they're alive but they're Mm -hmm. they're not doing uh they're nowhere near where they are in age of resistance they're not lords at all (laughs) at that point they're pretty pathetic by the point of the movie that hope is like an overarching theme throughout most of the books that there's these seemingly impossible odds but there's always hope that you know hope that they might come up with another solution, hope that they might be able to defeat the Skeksis without actually killing the Uru and things like that, and you know, a lot of time does go by between now and the Gelfling Wars, so you don't really know what happens with the destiny between these two, you don't know if um, they get a chance to settle down and have at least a little peace before things turn even uglier, you know This is why we keep reading Yep, exactly. <laughs> yep, yep. And, and just as a side note, Nancy, uh, I know you love the Seafood. Did you guys know that the next comic arc of the Age of Resistance comic is going to be Madra, Mera, and a Seafood like out on the high seas? Have you guys seen those that uh, part comic? Awesome. Yeah, I did not. Heck yeah, yes. I, I don't know when it's going to come out since I'm since so comics ready. are kind of put on hold. That's with, right, you know, the, yeah. and, and whatnot. But but the next arc, that's what it's going to be. Very exciting. Very cool. So. Sweet. Yeah. 
I cannot wait. I'm I'm all for any sort of um, high seas yep. adventure. I'm a massive pirate culture nerd. <laughs> I'm into so that. Like, exactly. Yeah. And and this me. is the gathering song, so we can definitely read those and, and talk I about them later. I love high later. seas stuff. Uh, I should mention that. Uh, Heck yeah. Joey Lee is a fan of the Pirates of Dark Water. If nobody's Ooh. seen that, uh, you really should. Oh, I really love, love that. It. I used to watch oh, that yeah. as a kid. I haven't seen it in a long time though. Pirates of that. The uh, the um, yeah, good animated stuff. thing, right? Or is there a new one? That's so right. Cool. Nope. Yeah, he he was saying he liked that. I I love high sea stuff. <laughs> that comes as no surprise to me that he's a fan. <laughs> uh, so we recently had that big fan rewatch of the Netflix, and that kind of started with the Facebook group Angle of Eternities that Sean runs. And Sean actually told mm -hmm. me about that cartoon you guys mm -hmm. were just talking about the pirates of dark water he's like he's like dude he's like if you yeah. haven't seen that one it's it has so many connections to the dark crystal because it's like the darkening of, and he was explaining all he's putting all these points to it i was like that sounds awesome i gotta watch that so yeah he's brilliant i get recommendations from oh, yeah. him all the time yeah. he's he's a he's, man he's of legit taste. he's legit yeah definitely <laughs> check out his uh, facebook group it's a, another great dark crystal facebook group um but yeah, anyways, sorry. let's finish off this chapter. We'll probably finish off this episode and, and, and wrap it up. No, no, all, all good. I, I did want to give a... So I kind of briefly mentioned... So this was the in-thra universe answer to why it's called a resistance, the age of resistance and whatnot. Interesting, the kind of real world behind the scenes was originally it was called Age of Rebellion, but before they copyrighted it, Star Wars actually copyrighted that name. And I actually have the RPG. There's an RPG module, Age of Rebellion, and then they did Age of the Sith and Age of all these other things. And so uh, Javier, one of the writers, he actually kind of saltily says in an interview, like he's like, oh, yeah, it was Star Wars' fault. We had to change the name. So we were thinking of these other names, and <laughs> Resistance came, and it worked. So I, I really like that. They didn't just leave it like that, but like we have a really good explanation for why, and it, and it makes a lot of sense. It's not just kind of, you know, shoehorned in there. Like, it's like that's a this is a very good reason for calling it a resistance. I, I really love it. So I wanted to add yeah. too, just with resistance, it's it incorporates passivity and mm -hmm. balance. So you're not just attacking, mm -hmm. uh, you're not rebelling. You're fading back. You're learning that you can't attack constantly that you have to find other ways. So it is, mm -hmm. uh, I think, a more apt title. Yep. And it and it implies survival. Yes. Whereas, like, rebellion doesn't necessarily imply survival. You can die fighting in a rebellion, yeah. but resistance inherently means, like, you made it. Smart. You make yep. a stand, but you don't necessarily do it violently. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, and that's exactly what's, what's happening. And those that encouragement from Irva is really what it takes to kind of give Naya her resolve again and you know she says you know she is going to find another way and in the meantime she's just going to continue on with you know really the the mission she has from Agra to light the fires and unite the Gelfling she doesn't know exactly what that means yeah. how it's going to look in the end but she's like well I know this step so I'm going to keep doing that and and with that Naya's resolved and in our next chapter we're going to see our party split you know we we hear never split the party but in this case <laughs> they wind up splitting the party because there's still plenty of fires that need to be lit so far they've only lit the Deucin clan the sifa clan and the vaporin clan it's fire so uh there's still four more so yep you know one party's going to go to two of them the other one's going to go to the other two and it's going to bring up plenty of drama for us to talk about. But um, yeah. I think this is a good place to wrap it up until we, 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 we've spent this whole episode in Mystic Valley. It's been nice and chill. Um, there's still been a lot of interesting things we have to 
it, it's it's kind of been more the battle of the minds and 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 you know and Naya trying needing to get that encouragement back. Like she's not the same yeah. as she was, but she still has to press on. She's still a leader. They still look to her. She needs to do this, and she resolves. Well, I'm gonna do what I know I can do, and this, mm-hmm. this yeah. is why we love Naya. Yeah. Yeah, among other reasons. Yep. Which, uh, spoiler alert, we're gonna get a bunch of those reasons in the next yep. chapter when she talks to Tabra. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, that's a, oh man, chapter nine's great. Yeah. Oh, also, side note though, like, I hope we get a side story about, um, Annika and Tavra because they're <laughs> basically my favorite. And I, I just, this little moment where the, how that's how the party splits, how Tavra and Annika have that moment that that's, they're gonna go do their thing um i just i would that would make a cool comic too like what's their little mini adventure like and their little like you know rebonding you know after all this time they finally get to go do something together Mm -hmm. and like sort of recapture their relationship and that's exciting i love them yeah that'd be a a great great short short story or four-part comic i wonder if joey could write like a short story about that well, I, he might have to get permission or something of that yes. nature, but that would be very cool if he could. Well, we know he could, but will he? <laughs> mm-hmm. Stories from the Dark Crystal. Oh, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> love it, love it. Love it, love it. Well, I think we're going to wrap up our episode Please, with that. Still hanging out in Mystic Valley. I'm glad we got to spend more time here before we get into the chaos of the real world of Thra that's not protected by all the mystical uh, Uru magic and whatnot. So uh, with that, let's let's all sign off. I am Jason Delgado. I'm very happy to be your host. You can find me at the Dark Crystal Conjunction. It's youtube.com slash the Dark Crystal Conjunction. I at least make one video a month, kind of the news roundup, all the news that happened in the Dark Crystal world. And uh, when I have more time, mm-hmm. which isn't right now, I uh, make a lot more videos. But I'm still having fun with it and still love interacting with you all. So you guys can find me there. Uh, Peter, why don't you let the folks know where they can find you? Sure. The easiest place is at my website at winsaga.com. That's D-W-I-I-M-Saga.com. And I keep a blog there. It has not been updated yet for 2020 because of all the crazy. So <laughs> I figure there's no people talking about that out there. So I've just been hunkering down and writing. So just uh, drop by and send me a line there. Very cool. Very cool. And Sydney, where can folks find you at? Uh, well, you can find me at the Crystal Shard Dark Crystal fan page on Facebook. Um, I'm one of the admins there. You can also find me on Instagram. Uh, you could just type in my name. Very few other Sydneys uh, spelled like me. S-Y-D-N-N-I-F-R-O-S-T. Um, and I post my my artistic endeavors on uh, Instagram fairly regularly. And, um, oh, Trial by Stone has a Patreon now. And if you want to get exclusive content um, and some exclusive fan art for um, Age of Resistance and directly related to the episodes that we discuss check out our patreon for trial by stone and my artistic creations will be there as well some exclusive stuff yeah and i I know philip yeah we didn't even mention uh philip's not with us today sorry philip (laughs) hi phil we 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 miss miss you phil (laughs) doesn't sound like it but we do he had some real world (laughs) stuff come up he was he had some work and and things like that he uh couldn't push aside so um very happy he entrusted this to us so um yes I actually meant to say that. Sorry, <laughs> Philip. I love you, brother. Anyways, last but not least, <laughs> right. Nancy, where can folks find you? Um, the best places to find me are at Writer Nancy Gray on Facebook 
And I have blog, nancygray.blogspot.com. Um, if you want to find out what I'm working on and a little more about me, that's a good place to go. Right now, I also have been just kind of um, taking a little break, trying to reevaluate what I want to do. But um, anytime, anytime that I um, come up with an idea, I typically uh, mention it. So if you want to know more about me, those are the two best places. Thank you. Excellent. Well, again, it's always a pleasure to talk with y'all about all things Thraw, all things the Dark Crystal. So until next time, this is The Gathering Songs, signing off. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. Follow us on Instagram at darkcrystalpodcast and on Twitter at darkcrystalpod. If you'd like to support the show, subscribe to the podcast, write a review on Apple Podcasts, and consider being our Patreon supporter at patreon.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. Thank you all so much, and stay tuned for the next episode of Trial by Stone. This podcast is brought to you by ThamesCon, bringing conventions to Oxford and London, including the Great Conjunction, the first ever dark crystal convention in the world. For more information, visit their website at www.thegreatconjunction.com.